Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 358 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we had another guest in our Fresh Voices in Legal Tech series, Carmen Ballou, Vice President of Data Analytics and Innovation at the Attorneys Liability Assurance Society, better known as ALAS. It was a great show, highly recommended, as are all our other episodes in our Fresh Voices series. Now we turn to one of the hardest problems to solve for most of us, which might mean Tom and me, but for most of us in the technology world, it's often called the shiny object syndrome or the intense desire to buy the newest and seemingly coolest new technology hitting the market as soon as it arrives. I have a very bad case of it with the new Apple Vision Pro. We thought that made this topic a timely one for this episode. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be sharing our strategies for addressing what is known as what we're calling the shiny new tech object syndrome. In our second segment, we'll have uh, ChatGPT ask us another question that it has generated from our audience's point of view. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, the thorny issue of the shiny new tech object syndrome. This is a great time of year for gadgets. Uh, all the newest phones are out. More keep coming. Uh, the Consumer Electronics Show, or CES, we usually talk about it around this time of year. It just occurred with a ton of interesting new gadgets. When we are getting, when we, you, everybody is constantly getting bombarded by the next new thing, we wondered whether there are ways to make good choices or whether we should just pull ourselves up to the buffet table and have at it. Uh, in this episode, we want to talk about how we deal with this issue and offer some tips if this is a syndrome from which you also might suffer. Dennis, uh, did you order an Apple Vision Pro while I was introducing the segment? Fortunately, I didn't, but I was tempted to. Um, this is actually the Apple Vision Pro is, is the worst case of the syndrome I've had in, in quite a while. And it's uh, in part because I was telling uh, in, in classes I've done and other people I've talked to, I've said in a couple of years, I think this Vision Pro platform could be one of the most significant things that we see in, in technology. And I really do feel that way. So I, I want to be part of it. But I've decided to hold off, uh, you know, as, as part of that, that sort of Midwestern uh, approach that you have to, to a delayed gratification. But it's difficult for me because I, I really think this is a, a, the next new thing for me in technology. And I think it could make a lot of changes in, in, in what we do going forward. So time other than speakers headphones giant monitors and your usual long list what's do you have anything new on your radar 
Well, I, I already have all of those. So I always have an itch for something new, but I'm going to actually save that. Um, I, you know, we're going to talk in the second part of the segment, uh, what's, on my, what's on my radar for the second half of this session, uh, discussion. I, I, there definitely are things. I will also share why, although I also, too, am intrigued by the Apple Vision Pro, it is not on my radar. I am not suffering from the same syndrome as you are. And as we get into this discussion, I'll explain why, because I think that of the criteria we're going to be talking about, there's certain criteria that this needs to have that for me, it just doesn't have. So, you know, let's maybe get started. What happens when you start feeling the, the syndrome take over? I mean, what is the thought process on uh, figuring out whether you are giving into it or, uh, or you're strong enough to stand up to it? Well, I mean, I have a number of things. And one is kind of looking at the assumptions I'm making on why I think I need this now and just, you know, checking the validity of those assumptions. I also like to start with saying, what am I replacing? Because generally, I'm this technology you're looking at is replacing something already. And then almost more importantly, what happens to what it is that I replace? Like, am I throwing out? Am I giving it away? What's going to happen to it? And then I also like to clearly envision or visualize how I'll actually be using this new thing. Like, where is it going to be placed? How do I store it? Where does it sit on my desk? Where, you know, what room is it going to be in? How will I use it? And, and then as part of that, what would success, uh, you know, if I bought this new tech product, what would it actually look like? And if I, if I hit snags in on any of those things, then that's a, a signal to me to to slow down a bit. So those that's sort of like a baseline, and then I have a, f a few others, but I'll let you jump in, Tom. Well, so I, ha I start out with, I think, slightly different questions, and I'll tell you why the, those questions don't always occur to me. The first question is similar to, I think, what you mentioned at the beginning, which is, why do you want it? Why do I want this in the first place? What what is the need for it? And then the question that I think is really important, because I think that you shouldn't buy anything unless you can affirmatively answer this question, which is, can the tech budget afford this purchase? If you already have other purchases in mind for this year, I need to replace my phone that I haven't replaced in six years, or my laptop just busted and I need to buy a new laptop, that shiny new tech object may need to take a backseat to all of that. I am less worried about replacing something. Sometimes I buy something because I want another tech tool in addition to what I already have. Sometimes I want to buy something because I'm tired of what I already have and I already know what I'm going to do with it. So I am very good about technology in, technology out. If I get something and I know it's replacing something, I we probably talked about this on the podcast a while ago. I had a technology garage sale on Facebook where I got rid of old iPads and old Surface tablets and old Google Assistant uh, modules, and uh, it was uh, it was great. I I loved getting rid of all that stuff. But, you know, one of the justifications that I have, and I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, as someone who likes to keep ahead of technology, to maybe to talk about it here, maybe to talk about it online, is that 
I need to be trying out as much new technology as possible. I mean, that's what the tech journalists do. They're always trying out the new things. But I also don't have a closet full of things that I tried once and I never used again. And I also tend to only try out things that I could see myself using in the future, which is why I don't go and buy the new iPhone or I don't go and buy things that aren't in my universe of of stuff that I want to use. So those are some of the thoughts that I have is, can I afford it? Why do I want it? And then really, is it something that's going to help me talk to other people about technology because I've had a chance to take a look at it and see what it does? Yeah, I mean, I would say on the afforded thing, the uh, the difficulty here is that on the classic shiny new object, you can always justify affording it. So that's that becomes this like tricky part of of the equation. And that's one thing I, I think you you need to overcome. I will disagree strongly with you when we get to the second half of this discussion. <laughs> okay. Then I think the other thing that I always underestimate and I, I try, so now I try to really think carefully about is understanding the learning curve and how long will it actually take me to ramp up to use something new. Because it's usually a lot longer than you think. And there is a transition period where, you know, just some, even with a new phone, you're installing, reinstalling apps, you're doing these other things that makes you decide you're going to reorganize. And, and so you can, there is a lot of time that can be involved in these things. And if you find yourself already telling people that you are just so unbelievably busy, that's a signal that it's probably not time to, you know, like to jump into some new technology that there might be a better time for that. Or if you have other new purchases that you can look on your desk and you can see that are either still in the box or that you haven't really started to use, that could be a signal to you. So for the the Vision Pro, the big question for me was, is even if I think is this is the most important technology coming down the line, for me at least, is this the right time for it? And and that question is the one that was most helpful to me uh, to say, like, yeah, this is great and it's cool, but is this actually the right time for it? I agree. I think that all of those reasons are good reasons and good things to think about. Um, I also found, and as you and I were discussing this before we started recording, um, there's a lot of the ways that we when we talk about setting our tech resolutions for the year, we can apply a lot of those principles also to uh, to this syndrome as well, right? Yeah, so I, I think that's exactly right, and in a number uh, from a number of different perspectives. So uh, we always think of jobs to be done. So what are we hiring this new tech to do for us? And we want to understand that, be very precise about that. Did we already plan for it? So was it something that was on our tech resolutions list or part of our technology plan for the year? Because if it wasn't, we should think really hard about whether we want to vary from that that list or that plan that we put a lot of effort into um, to go uh, to something new that was unplanned. And then in that podcast time, we talked about our approach to tech uh, technology and new technologies. Is there a specific a pain point I want to alleviate or remove, and does that the new tech do that? Is it something that I really feel I need to or want to learn? And third, is will this new uh, shiny new tech object 
help me advance my career, do more with technology, improve process or enhance client service. And so once you have that framework, I think that the impulse, you're kind of, you know, channeling the impulse into something that's a, a lot more effective. And I will confess that now uh, when I'm looking at new purchases and, and Tom will be my witness on this, I actually use ChatGPT to, to walk me through the decision. So the pros and cons and, and make the recommendation. So when I bought a, a new MacBook Air, um, that was the approach I took. And I ended up using that process, I think, very effectively to make the, the buying decision that I did. I sort of get the feeling, Dennis, that you may use ChatGPT to help you walk through a lot of decisions. <laughs> I don't know if I'm wrong about that, but just a hunch that I have. So there's one question on here that you haven't asked that I haven't mentioned. And we talk and everything you mentioned there is all right and good. And it's very practical reasons for why should I get this? But let's turn back to, to something a little more emotional, which is, will getting the new technology bring you joy? You know, I think it's great if it solves the pain point, I'm, if it gets you ahead in your career, if it's something you want to learn more about. But let's get right down to it and say, is this something that will make you happy? You know, we, if you're familiar with the, the whole methodology of Marie Kondo getting rid of stuff and you only keep the stuff that brings you joy with technology, maybe apply that measure to before you buy it. Because most often than not, most of these technology purchases are going to involve a decent amount of money. It shouldn't be the first question you ask, because that's the problem with the bright shiny. You know, we often start with the joy. It's not always to the best first question to ask. But frankly, I still think it needs to play a role in the decision making process. So we kind of laid down the strategies and the standards. Now maybe let's get right down to it and see if there's anything on our uh, bright, shiny new technology syndrome list. Before we do that, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy to onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Get civil and you get a fast, custom-built website that looks great, brings you clients, and drops them right into your firm's systems. Civil partners perfectly with small firms by building the fastest sites in legal, handling digital marketing, enhancing your leads, and providing transparent analytics. They're civil to your other tech, too. Civil websites integrate with all legal case management systems, including Clio, Smokeball, MyCase, and Lawmatics. Get a free site audit with a no-obligation 15-minute demo about what Civil can do for your website. GetCivil.com. That's G-E-T-C-I-V-I-L-L-E.com. All rise with Civil. And we are back talking about shiny new tech objects. So, Tom, let's start with you. What shiny new tech objects are on your radar lately? Well, I got a lot, actually. I have a lot of things that I would love to get if I could. The one I actually already 
totally gave in to my, does it bring me joy or would it bring me joy or am I just responding to what the crowd is doing? And I already bought it. It's called the Rabbit R1. Um, it's a brand new device that completely took the Consumer Electronics Show by Storm. It's a small handheld device that runs on what they're calling an AI operating system. It's going to connect to all of your apps in the cloud, and then you can run them all with just your voice. There's a keyboard on the device too, but it's a small device. It's smaller than a phone. You can connect it to your Spotify account and ask it to play music. You can connect it to your Uber account and ask it to book you a ride. I was totally caught up in the rush. Um, it was, it's $200. Um, it's really not that expensive, so I pre-ordered one, and it's now in its fifth order of like 10,000. So they're going, uh, they're very popular. And uh, I have no idea whether it's going to be good or not. But that was my impulse purchase. Here are the other things that I really would like to consider. I'm really thinking about a foldable phone. And in this case, I'm actually thinking about a foldable phone as a tablet alternative. I've found myself going to meetings or places where I didn't want to bring my iPad with me. I just needed to have something small to take notes on. And a phone is too small, but opening up a foldable phone, I think, is just the right thing. And I have two foldables that I'm looking at. One is called the OnePlus Open. OnePlus has got some really great phones that really get ignored. Um, but the And the Open was generally considered to be the best folding phone of 2023. And then because I'm a Pixel person, the Pixel Fold is also gets very good reviews and has a good camera. So I'm interested in that. There was one laptop that was uh, debuted at CES that is intriguing to me. It's called the Lenovo ThinkBook Plus Gen 5 Hybrid. That is a mouthful there. You can detach it and it becomes an Android tablet. You attach it to the keyboard and it becomes a full Windows 11 laptop. I like the ability to have both in one thing. Whether I'll ever use it or not, I don't know. I probably won't wind up getting this because I tend to not go crazy with my laptops, um, but that's interesting. All of those things are, except for that rabbit that I paid $200 for, all of these are a little out of my budget range right now. So that's why I also have something I mentioned in our previous podcast, the Epic Boom uh, at about two to 250, I think is what it is, a speaker. I, I need a new speaker for my desk uh, that will handle the sound here for my, uh, for my computer. So that's probably what I will succumb to at some point uh, instead of these other expensive uh, things. So, all right, I just laid it all out there, Dennis. Any response to that? Well, I do. So I think that uh, what I'm going to add a question to my list is, does this product seem like it's too good to be true? And I would use that as a as a hesitation. I mean, the, that rabbit thing sounds cool, but mm, it sounds really, really beta to me. But when you're talking about the laptops and the other things, it made me realize that one of the things I'm really interested in these days on my work computers is actually being able to see Windows 11 because I seem to work at places that don't think that <laughs> Windows 11 is safe enough to use. And I'm really curious. And it's only been two years. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, uh, was thinking as you're going through your list, uh, time about how I've kind of gone to this simplification approach in trying to be, you know, limit what I'm doing, be more discerning is the word I sometimes use or more intentional. And so I really have just one thing that I'm thinking about, and that's the Apple Vision Pro. And so I'm looking it through 
the framework and and at the price point of thirty five hundred dollars and up, that makes you pause, right? So if it were three hundred fifty dollars, I might go faster. Uh, if I didn't have my Oculus goggles that uh, I don't use as much as I would like to, sitting here across the room, um, I might go faster too. And if I didn't feel like I was in busy season, you know, teaching three classes a semester, that also might make me uh, go this direction. And that, that helped me think about this to say, like, hmm, if I had the full-on shiny object syndrome, price wouldn't bother me. Well, it would bother me when I was actually paying it, but, uh, but I could justify it. And, but I think the timing is not quite right. And that is sort of what, what brought up this for me. And, and then the simplification thing. So our friend, uh, Catherine Sanders Reich was, was on a, a great law droid AI webinar, which I think they're going to rebroadcast at, at some point or make available on demand. And she was talking about how she's tried all these different AI tools and she just went through tool after tool after tool of, of these different AI tools that were available. And I was like, whoa, I, I can't even do that anymore. I just want to learn one thing and I want to get really good at it. And if I see that there's something missing, then I'll move to something else. But I'm trying to take a much more simpler approach. And so I go back to these different things. Because what, what is the job that the Vision Pro is going to do for me? And is this the right time for it to to do the the job, so I don't know. I sort of feel time compared to you. I'm I'm getting to be a little bit of boring. I have like plenty of tech around me. Some of it I haven't used, and and I'm I'm just trying to streamline and go back to your notion of you know if a tech comes in, then a tech should go out. So that's my notion. What I call that is the replacement approach. Um, so so that's where I'm at. Time. I don't know whether that's boring or not. I don't think it's boring. I will say, though, that when it came to the Vision Pro, for me, the cost issue was a full stop, is that $3,500 is, I struggle to think of many technology items that are more expensive than that. I mean, there are probably some tricked out Mac laptops or other laptops that you can get for more, but I feel like you get more for that because you might be able to do more on that. But I think that at $3,500, I really worry that, and, and maybe I shouldn't worry because Apple is Apple and Apple's very good at doing what it does, but I feel almost like they're not being accessible to a large part of the market here. And that worries me a little, but I know that they will ultimately do it. I may at some point in time splurge for that, but it was the cost issue that did it right now. Whether I know I've been reading the reviews of it, the reviews are generally good. They talk about how it, there's some pieces of it that are still a work in progress, which sort of supports your idea that the timing may not be right for this right now. I'm probably going to at some point in time, but uh, right now I just I feel like the the $3,500 is just such a barrier for a lot of people, and, and it just is a barrier for me right now. And, and I'll, I agree with you. The things that I just listed, I don't need any of them. I don't need to replace anything with it. If I get a foldable phone, it's in addition to the phone I have because I love my Pixel 8 Pro. I would want something that I would be using more as a note-taking device, and I'd be kind of swapping phones between my between times that I used it. So that really doesn't feel right. So, you know, I have to say that, uh, 
you know, other than my impulse purchase, and I'll only justify it by saying that two hundred dollars is uh, for technology. It, it if it turns out to be a beta, then I've only lost two hundred dollars, and I'm less worried about that. But I feel like I'm a little boring too. So um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with being boring until the next sh- new shiny comes along, and then we'll have to think about that. You know, I I said you know when you were talking about that the foldable phone, I was thinking you know back in the ancient days of tech in the original Palm Pilot, where the, the developer of the Palm Pilot walked around with a piece of wood in his pocket to like understand what the experience would be. And if you say like, well, I'm going to get this foldable phone, but of course I'm going to keep the phone I love, then I'm going to go like, well, okay, so you need two pockets or you need like a bag that you're carrying with? like, And so that's why I say I try to visualize, you know, like, I think that what's interesting to me about the Vision Pro is the same thing that interested me uh, about the Apple Watch when I wasn't even wearing a watch at the time and hadn't for many years, was it's the platform that it gets me into and potentially what gets built out there. And um, I think that it's, it becomes really interesting for me as this you know, like this giant screw, you know, giant monitor experience and, and doing some other things, but the platform itself and then the integration into the, the Apple platform. So like in your case, Tom, I would say like if, if Google did something similar and you're, you're in the Google ecosystem, that would make it really interesting for me. And then if, if you say like this, it's giving me not just Tom, your 49 inch monitor, but it's giving me something that feels like a room size monitor that I can work on, that becomes really interesting. And we're we're approaching the Super Bowl, and there are many people who probably spend thirty five hundred dollars on a new TV, uh, you know, for the Super Bowl experience. And so it could be interesting along those lines. But I see it as a platform play, and uh, and then it's it's primarily I'm just looking and I say here's my schedule for the next three months, and I just don't see how it fits in there to learn this new thing. And I would be paying for something that I didn't use. Whereas in the summer, that's where the shiny object will hit me hard with this. So anyway, that's that's my thought, Tom. I, so what what if any lessons should our audience learn from us, or uh, you know whether to follow us or to do the opposite of what we do, or to to keep their hands firmly on their wallets? Well, I would say that if they learn any lesson from us, the lesson should be to be thoughtful about this, because I think that if nothing else. We've sort of navel-gazed ourselves into oblivion here of thinking very deliberately about, uh, you know, the steps necessary to do it. And so I think that that would be my advice is whatever criteria you use, don't just rush out and get it. Come to some level of practical thought process for yourself to justify it. And then if you can, go have fun. I would say go deep rather than than going wide, you know. So like I said, my approach is simplification, like take, you know, look at what I need to do and and to concentrate on getting really good at what it is I use and and to realize that I can't, you know, like I can't learn these days like 20 different things that are just slightly different or I'm not never going to learn the 200 different case management systems, right? Yep. All right. We have talked about this about as much as we can. We've got more to share, though, in this podcast. So before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. A website from Civil fills your new client pipeline. 
Prospects find you through powerful SEO, and smart intake forms make it easy to integrate with Clio, Smokeball, Lawmatics, and MyCase. Never lose another lead. Get your civil bundle. Website, SEO, content marketing, and Google Business Profile Management free for 60 days from the legal industry's best end-to-end lead generation platform. Book your demo at getcivil.com. That's getcivill.com. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And as always, we want to remind you to share the podcast with a friend or two. That really helps us out. In our new B segment, which is starting to get a little bit older, we are prompting Chip GPT-4 in a sophisticated way to stand in for you, our audience, and ask a question that our audience might want us to answer that would make us think and push us just a little bit. So here's a question I got from our chat GPT audience persona. Tom, what are some of the underused tech tools in legal practice that can offer significant productivity boosts? And then how can they be integrated effectively? You see how chat GPT asked the double question there. Yeah. And I'm not sure I feel like answering both questions. And to be honest, I had to confess I'm a little bored by your question, ChatGPT, because the answers that I'm going to give, I feel like we talk about a lot of times on the podcast and we say some of these things. But to me, there's two obvious answers here. And I would say the first one, the easy one to talk about um, is Microsoft 365 Office Productivity Tools. And it's not that they are underutilized. Pretty sure everybody's using the heck out of Word and Outlook and PowerPoint, and that's something everybody's using on a regular basis. Rather, what's utilize, underutilized are many of what I would consider to be the really useful features. You know, just using styles in Word will automatically make you more productive. Dennis and I were talking about earlier about using Designer and PowerPoint. You can create a more professional slide in minutes using Designer, although our experience lately has been less than positive, but you can definitely be incredibly productive using tools that you may not know that exist in Word or Excel or PowerPoint or any of those uh, applications. But I think that actually a more underutilized technology is the one that we talk about so often on this podcast that our guests talk about so often on this podcast. And that's automation tools. You know, that could be document automation. That could be creating, you know, creating new documents without having to start all over again every time. Or it could be process automation, creating workflows using tools like SharePoint or other tools to simplify the handoff in a law firm or a legal department of different steps in a process like a transaction or a document review or contract review or working on a brief for submission to the court, the probate process. There are so many processes that could be automated that lawyers outside the biggest firms are missing out on. And frankly, a lot of the lawyers in the biggest firms are still missing out on these too. So, you know, I'm kind of answering the first question. Here's some of the things that offer significant productivity boosts. Integrating them effectively, I mean, that's, that's 
that's a whole other segment, Dennis. So I'm going to punt on that and I'm going to turn it over to you and see if you can answer the question better than I did. Well, I think you, you kind of answered the integration thing, which is to focus on the tool set that you have. And so if you're in the Microsoft tools, they're already integrated. And you're right, Tom, you're, people tend not to use the features that would really help them and they don't kind of investigate them. Or you could find like I did recently, that you you've, you don't have the tools you expect because uh, you might be in an organization that's that's using Microsoft Office 2016 here in 2024. And so some of it's just that it's out there. So a couple things I think are really useful if your firm allows it. And so one would be some approach to note taking. So I'm using Apple Apple Notes these days, and that's I'm I'm really starting to like that. I like Snagit to ca- do screen captures, especially if I'm on a webinar and and looking at slides and stuff. And then those can go go in into notes. That can be incredibly helpful and then the simple uh i mean i use text expander which i think is a cross-platform tool but when i do chat gpt prompts now um, i have a toolbox and you know so the the prompts i reuse i've created these little macros and text expanders so it's just with a couple of keystrokes i can put in a whole sophisticated prompt and then make changes to it. So I, I think each of those things are small tools that give you a lot of benefits. So I think if you say like, what is it that it could accomplish? What are the things that are super annoying to me? Can I fix those? And then the big question is, anytime you're in an organization is, are you allowed to use these tools? So now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website or observation, you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So the parting shot that I'm going to do this week asks the question, if there was the possibility of an AI tool that could be a better search engine than Google, what would it be? And my answer is going to be, it could very well be a website called Perplexity. Perplexity is an AI tool that currently is a little bit of the darling of the the VC, the venture capital market. It's getting a lot of money piled into it right now. And um, I found out about it because... When I purchased that $200 Rabbit device, it came with a free year of pro perplexity, um, which actually retails for $200. So I actually got a free $200 subscription to perplexity by doing this. So I'm making some use of it. There's an Android app and an iOS app for it. For it, I view it as kind of the intimate search engine. So I typed in my query, what is the best folding phone for me to buy? I wasn't very conscious about a prompt or anything more specific. And it gave me three very, four very interesting areas. It gave me a summary answer, the best folding phones available in 2024 include, and then it gave me five of them, one of which was the OnePlus Open, one of which was the Google Pixel Fold, so I feel like I picked it right. It gives the reasons why you should do these, and it offers sources, so you can click on links to see what the sources are for each one of those answers. Up at the top, it gives links to a bunch of other sources that you can look at. Below, it gives you some related questions to ask. What are the pros and cons of buying a folding phone? What's the price range for folding phones? What are the differences between folding phones and regular phones? So it's trying to anticipate what you might want to know. And then 
all over to the right, it offers a bunch of images that are all spot on. It it actually is, it's not going to be a search engine that you can say, give me directions to get to the airport um, or to get to this place. It's not going to replace a regular search engine for a lot of reasons. But I'm really looking at this for answering questions and things like that, and it's it's really working out well so far. I wish it were not so expensive. Um, I'm fortunate that I'm using a free version of it, but uh, there is a I'm using it for free, but there is a free version that you can use if you want to test it out. It's called Perplexity.ai. Dennis. Well, Tom, they they need to charge a subscription because they're going to need to raise several million dollars to pay a a consulting firm to tell them that perplexity is a terrible name and to change to to something different for... uh, That's it? That's all you got for that? (laughs) That's that's what I have. So I'm... I feel like this year is like the year I'm just going like simple and basic and and, uh, looking to, uh, to things that worked in the past and seeing if... Uh, we can make them new again. So um, this is a hat tip to our friend Sabrina Pacifici at LLRX.com. So RSS is, you can think of this as feeds, news feeds. There are other analogies to it. Uh, but it's a very simple technology that when when a website you're interested in gets updated, you get a, f- a feed that comes to you with with that content. So you don't have to go out to each page. So it's been around forever. Tom and I are huge fans of it. Um, and the most common RSS reader these days is called Feedly, which I, I'm an advocate for. Uh, but Sabrina mentioned this thing called RSS Anything, which is at rss.diffbot, D-I-F-F-B-O-T dot com. And the idea is that um, as... RSS has fallen into disfavor. It's either really hard or impossible to find RSS feeds from certain sites that you would use. And so RSS Anything allows you to essentially create those RSS feeds for you to use um, so you can get updates from sites. And it's, uh, I think it solves like one of these little problem areas I have and is a nice niche and I think we'll see, potentially we'll see a little bit more on the RSS side as people appreciate the functionality of, of instead of saying like, you know, subscribe to a zillion newsletters, email newsletters, look at all these pages that serve ads at me, all this sort of stuff. Say like, no, I just want to have the content fed out to me into a reader where I can I can sort through it. And that that is the promise of RSS. And uh, this is a tool to experiment to say, if I'm if I have places I go or that don't have feeds that I can find, I can use this tool instead. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, on the Legal Talk Network site, or within your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn. Or remember, we love getting your questions for our B segment. Don't make us ask chat GPT questions forever. Please send us a question. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. And I agree with Tom that our audience should take on the challenge and say, I can ask better questions than ChatGPT. Come on. Amen. So 
As always, a big thank you to the Legal Talk Network team for producing and distributing this podcast. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.